Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Friday, September 6th, 2019. Here's a real estate conversation while you have your morning coffee. So no news article this morning. I talked to Jacob Perez. He's been an investor for six years, a mortgage agent for two years. There's been at least a couple big things. Well, there have been a couple things this week that largely affect the mortgage industry and ultimately real estate in general. First, first-time home buyer incentive. Second, the Bank of Canada met. Now, the Bank of Canada didn't make a move on their key interest rate, so no big news there. But I wanted to talk to Jacob about how he approaches these meetings and how he talks, what kind of conversations he has with his clients after these kind of meetings, particularly if the bank makes a cut or if they hike the interest rate. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Second, I want to talk about, I want to get a professional's opinion on the first-time homebuyer incentive. For investors, it's not as relevant, although there was something in there that wasn't in the CMHC's website about buying rental properties and some conflicting information. And we talked briefly about that, but a part of the problem with the program is the lack of clarity on how a lot of, on how it works in many different situations. So we dive in a little bit, we get Jacob's take, and we really what we, this conversation does is it sets us up to have uh, many more conversations down the road about um, any other moves, any other major moves that happen. And we'll have a history here to look back on. Here we go. Yeah, so my name is Jacob Perez. You know, I've been investing in real estate since I was 23 years old. Right now I'm 29 years old, so I guess that's about six years investing. So it's funny when you think about investing in real estate, a lot of times we always think of ourselves as kind of like new on that journey. But I guess six years now, I've kind of been at it for a Mm -hmm. little while. And then in terms of being a mortgage agent, that's actually a little bit more recent. So I've been a mortgage agent for getting close to two years now, but um, it's been a really, really quick growth. And uh, had a lot of clients and a lot of files grown probably a lot faster than I thought might be possible. And, um, you know, that's been a great experience as well. But prior to being a mortgage agent, you know, I was working in Toronto consulting, doing all kinds of jobs in the business sector, but uh, always doing that investing in real estate on the side. Cool. That's amazing. So what got you into real estate real quick? Sorry? What got you into real estate? What started you oh, know what? Like really, I remember hearing the concept when I was in high school about a rental property and, and there was no, never any kind of discussion about appreciation, cash flow, things like that. I just simply heard, you know, you can put a down payment on a property and have a tenant pay the mortgage off for you. And at the end of 25 years, you have the entire home paid off. Mm-hmm. And we're just thinking like, that's so funny. That's such an obvious, simple way to make money. And why isn't everyone doing it? So 
when I was in university and undergrad, I always kind of had the idea of when I started working, I'll buy a rental property. And um, that's what I did. So as soon as I got my first job at university, I was saving up for the 5% down and um, ended up just kind of buying my first property at 23 that way. Really was inexperienced, didn't really have any mentors. I wasn't really, you know, going online and seeking out information. It was really just going off the word of a real estate agent, what could this rent for? And just trying to look for something turnkey. And then, you know, lucky I was in really great market in Hamilton, Ontario, that was appreciating like crazy. So even if I wasn't making maybe the most skilled investment decisions, I was still able to kind of get out on top, um, mm-hmm. even though maybe my, my information was lacking a little bit. No, uh, I mean, you got started. That's probably the biggest thing. Yep. That's cool, man. Okay, so let's jump into it. The Bank of Canada didn't do anything with their interest rate. Now, how much are you paying attention to this? Um, I, I know it, it it has indirect effects on on you and your clients. So uh, first of all, how much do you pay attention when the Bank of Canada makes a move? Well, the Bank of Canada, they get together eight times per year. So we mm-hmm. definitely have those kind of um, periods of the year marked off on the calendar, just knowing that not only you know, is it something that we're going to be asked about as a mortgage agent by our clients, but also just to kind of keep in the know of what's going on. But realistically, you know, when the Bank of Canada does make a decision, generally what they do is they kind of like keep the rate as is. So if they were to do an increase or a decrease, typically like the most they'll actually increase or decrease the rate is by 0.25%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So even though this is a huge talking point in the media, similar to a lot of other talking points that you'll hear in the media, sometimes you're just completely overblown and really not that relevant. So I don't want to call a Bank of Canada decision not relevant, but realistically, if there is a Bank of Canada rate increase, they're going to pitch this like it's some big doom and gloom story. But when you actually look at the numbers, a 0.25 interest in the variable rate will literally increase your mortgage about $13 per 100000 in mortgage. So yeah. There's somebody where let's say you have, you know, a, um, a $300,000 mortgage and your mortgage might increase by $39 per month. If that $39 per month has some type of financial impact in your life, you probably were in a pretty negligent financial position to begin with for that to really have like a serious effect on you. So does it really impact much in terms of clients? You know, it's going to impact questions they're going to ask because they're just asking about anything they're hearing in the news, but does it really impact, you know, demand or, or things like that from clients? I would say not, not very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's always something that I struggle with. I'm, um, in terms of, okay, what's relevant and what's not relevant. And you take a look at the news and people like to make a lot of hype about certain things and trying to weed through. And so that's why I really appreciate this kind of input, especially from someone, a professional like you. And it helps bring some gravity and just say, okay, look, this is important to this extent. And, um, and I think also too, it, it helps, you know, looking back. So we'll look back on 2019. If they do anything in October or December. I think, you know, there might be, they might actually make one move um, in the whole year, and and you can kind of get a sense for uh, a bigger picture. But yeah, in the smaller micro, in that micro picture, the individual investor, three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. I really like that three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Mortgage payments only going up thirty nine, uh, thirty nine dollars a month. So that's that's a super practical. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I think, you know, it comes, when it comes to a lot of things in mortgages, sometimes we don't realize how psychological it is. You know, people are trying to get, really doing all this work to make sure they try and get the absolute lowest interest rate sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And that's another example of, you know, if you have a smidgen lower interest rate, 
a lot of these people like they think that's winning the game versus they're not even necessarily looking at their mortgage payments and going okay well wow that that slight decrease in interest really doesn't really change much in my day-to-day life right but maybe Uh some of the underlying terms in the mortgage that allow you some flexibility later will have a much bigger financial impact on you right Uh so it's really just important to pay attention to kind of what are the real numbers behind some of these psychological things that get a lot of hype in the media then we can kind of make uh, more effective decisions on that point so what are some of the other forces outside forces that um have affected that you've seen that have affected um, your clients like directly that that it has affected their ab- ability to qualify or the or their mortgage payment every month. Now let's just exclude the mortgage stress test. That's the obvious answer. Um, but is there anything else? It might there might not be anything. But is there anything else that when you see this happen, um, like outside of a, a client's life? Uh, you're like, okay, they, I need to let my clients know what's going on right now. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different uh, poor decisions that are being made with regards to mortgages that are maybe putting people in kind of a financial bind later or maybe limiting them from doing something that, you know, they want to do. So maybe somebody who's buying a regular primary residence isn't thinking about investing in real estate in, in the future, isn't thinking about refinancing their property for a renovation, but maybe five, 10 years down the line when they have a lot of equity built up in their property, that becomes something that's uh, an important option in their life, okay? So mm-hmm. a lot of the things that are really impactful in mortgages don't get a lot of media hype because they're happening behind the scenes and only really the mortgage agents kind of know about it, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a really good example is I see a lot of clients where or maybe mortgage agents are maybe a source of the problem where bank specialists might be the source of this problem where a lot of these agents or bank specialists out there advertising, you know, hey, I have the lowest rate. No, come with me. I have the lowest rate. Well, the problem with some of these really, really low rate, what I call teaser products, meaning there's specific mortgage products where maybe the, the interest rate is a slight bit lower and it's a separate product offering at most banks, institutions, but they might have some underlying clause that hurt our clients, right? So we have mm-hmm. some clients where they'll sign up for these low rate mortgages that have what's called a bona fide sale clause, okay? So what a bona fide sale clause means is that you cannot refinance the property or break the mortgage term to go to a different lender at any point. The only way you can break your mortgage is if you sell the property. Mm-hmm. You have to have a firm sale agreement to get out of your mortgage, okay? So I've had clients who've been in, huge financial distress with high interest credit cards, lines of credit, car loans, things like that. But they have tons of equity in their property that they should be able to access at a very low interest rate. And being able to access that equity and consolidate some of those loans in their mortgage could literally save them eight to thousand dollars per month. Okay. Not to mention the interest savings. And they don't have the opportunity to do that because when they got their mortgage at the bank, they got one of these 0.01 lower rate mortgages that had one of these conditions in it that, you know, maybe to the clients, um, not really the, might not be the client's fault because they might not have even been told about this underlying policy. And yeah, is it listed within the mortgage payment? Of course, but these mortgage payments can be, you know, 15 to 20 pages and really <laughs> expecting that people are reading all the fine print. I just don't really think that's realistic. And I think, you know, that puts the onus on the person who's executing the mortgage to really be educating their clients on that. So the bona fide sales clause is in a lot of different mortgage products against across a lot of different lenders. That's something that's burning a lot of people. Okay. So I want to hold on that real quick. That's very interesting. Yeah. Something I've never heard of. So I just want to make sure I'm, and I've got this uh, correct too. So what's happening is, uh, it, does this bona fide sale clause 
show up when banks or or lenders in general are luring um, more people who already have a mortgage in their house and saying, "Hey, come refinance with us, and you'll get we'll give you this lower rate." Or is it all automatically in like uh, we just bought a house and that bona fide sales clause was in that mortgage paper? Yeah, so the more it could be. It could be within the mortgage product on the purchase, or it could be within the mortgage product on the refinance. Okay, so it's possible in either of those situations. It's not that, for example, Bank of Montreal has this in all their mortgage products, but they do have it in one of their mortgage products, for example. Okay, and that specific mortgage product might happen to have the lowest five-year fixed rate they're offering. Gotcha. Okay, and the reason they'll offer a site though is they know they can't lose you as a client. Yep. Yep. Okay, so that's a that's a really important one. Um, we can drill down on that a bit further, but another one I can I can talk about that um, is kind of um, what's the term I want to use is people are doing this to themselves kind of thing mm-hmm. is setting up their amortization and payments in a way that might not be favorable for them later. Okay, so a lot of people, you know, they have the goal of paying off their mortgage quick, right? They want to pay down that mortgage as fast as possible. So they can be mortgage free and that's a great and really important goal to have okay but the thing is when it comes to getting future borrowing they always look at what are your minimum obligated payments per month so if you have a mortgage that has a balance of two hundred thousand dollars and your mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month that's a lot different than if you have a mortgage product that also has a balance of two hundred thousand dollars but you have it set up on a really aggressive payment plan where you're setting yourself up for a minimum payment of $2,000 per month. Maybe you're going to pay it off in 10 years as opposed to 20 okay. under that payment structure. Okay. So a lot of people think that their, their criteria of how much they can borrow is based off of how much mortgage they have remaining, where it's really based off of the minimum obligation payment associated with that mortgage. So instead of, for example, if, if you have a goal of paying off your mortgage faster, what I usually recommend my clients is, Still go for the 30-year amortization where your payments are going to be as low as possible, okay? But what you can do to pay it off quicker is do prepayments against your mortgage balance yearly with the additional amount saved by having the lower mortgage payment. That way in the future, if you do want to borrow more funds or you need to borrow more funds, you'll have a better chance at qualifying. Whereas if, for example, your mortgage payments are set up to pay off your mortgage in 20 years and maybe instead of a $1,000 payment, you have a $1,500 payment, and let's say you want to get additional borrowing, you'll have a tougher time doing that, and let's flip it on the other side. Let's say you don't want additional borrowing, but you just lost your job, and you're in a bit of financial distress. So as a you want to extend your amortization and get your payments decreased. Well, in order to extend your amortization, you need to qualify for that, the same way you would qualify for a regular mortgage. Mm. So if you don't have your job or you're in some type of financial distress, it's possible that you can't qualify just to decrease your payments. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So setting yourself up so your, ob- your monthly obligations are as low as possible, and then just taking those additional monthly savings and prepaying your mortgage. That way you can pay it off on a quicker amortization, but you can protect yourself in case of financial distress in the future. Yeah, that yeah, and that's a, one of those tricky things that I guess is kind of counterintuitive without knowing all the all the ins and outs. Yeah, and again, that's where the onus is on working with a good mortgage agent who's educating you on these types of things, right? And I really think a lot of clients out there who are just kind of poking around looking for the lowest rate, they're doing themselves a bit of a disservice because 
if you're working with someone and, you know, you kind of make the proposition that I'm just here for the lowest rate, well then maybe that mortgage agent or that bank specialist isn't going to spend as much time with you to build that relationship and educate with you on all these different things that they don't think they're going to keep you as a client. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. So are there any other outside forces that other than like the bank of Canada, the bank of Canada, or, um, you know, for instance, recently the stress test, um, that institutions, like once you're already in a mortgage, are there any outside forces that can alter your mortgage payment or that can affect the amortization or um, anything that you're watching out for, uh, like from outside of um, the individual, the client's choice choice set? Um, not so much. I mean, the good thing about mortgages is generally once you're in the mortgage, you're in a position where you're kind of like, they'll keep your mortgage. So at the end of a five year, you typically get the option to renew and there's no qualification process. Okay. There are some examples around the country. I've heard some whispers that there have been situations where people's mortgage have been called or they haven't given them the opportunity to renew after five years because there's been significant credit drops. Hmm. Okay. Now that hasn't happened to any of my clients, but I have heard some of that in the broker community happening at some of the major banks, but I can't confirm it because I haven't seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's something but to one, watch out for. Well, something to watch out for where, you know, you still want to keep your credit in good standing because banks do kind of pay attention to their clients' credit. And, you know, if your credit did take a significant hit, it's possible they say, okay, well, you know, we will renew your mortgage, but we're only going to renew it at some type of significantly higher interest rate than we're offering the general public. Right. Which is something that we haven't seen before, but would make some logical sense and it could be happening in the future. Yeah. Okay. One thing that I would say that it is consumer behavior, but I think it should be noted and it is impacting mortgage trends is we're living in a society where everybody has a side hustle. So many people are going self-employed and so many companies as well are actually, instead of employing um, people full-time, paying the benefits, what they're doing is they're putting them on contracts or turning them into self-employed contractors and paying them that way just to avoid some stipulations with contracts, unions, Mm -hmm. things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one big trend we're seeing in the workplace is just kind of a huge shift towards Mm self-employed, whether it's the company you work for kind of forcing you into that role or it's people just taking on um, side hustles that are representing now a bigger portion of their regular day-to-day income. So I think that's one thing that's, that's really having an effect in the market because banks are pretty slow to catch up and offer products that kind of accommodate this type of income. So if you're a person where, you know, you have less than 20% down and you don't have access to alternative sources of funding, like alternative banks that are a little bit more flexible to self-employed, that's kind of a niche in the market that there's a really big gap right now we're not hearing so much about these gaps being filled by the banks and things like that, but it's just definitely something that, you know, everyone's kind of paying attention to. We know the amount of people who are self-employed is greater than ever. And the other thing too, is we have more and more people moving towards rental properties. Yeah. It just seems like everyone is investing in real estate right now. Everybody wants an income suite in their property and just seeing how different banks are looking at income, things like that. That's a big factor as well. So a lot happening right now um, with regard to the mortgage industry within those two facets, but it's kind of a waiting game, but I would expect to see some you know, new regulations, some new lending options come up. I, I would say probably in the next like three to five years, I think we're going to start to see a lot more lending options for the self-employed just with that regularity in the workforce. Yeah, that's smart. And that's definitely something that was noted in the July jobs report. I remember um, reading through that and 
it, although there was a, a bit of a decrease um, in July, the, it noted the rise in self-employment, and that's only been a, a rising trend for the last several years anyway, and it's something that's not going away. So, yeah, that's pretty smart to watch out for. Absolutely. So the last thing, um, the home first-time home buyer incentive program uh, with the CMHC. How uh, how much does that affect your clients? How much have you? How many conversations have you had with your clients about that? Is this something that you're focusing on very much? Uh, we've definitely had conversations with our clients. It's, it's important to make sure our clients are kind of educated about everything. Is it having a big impact on our business? I would say not so much. Because it's a pretty niche program that, you know, I would say it's just going to fit like a unique type of client. I think the type of client that fits this first-time homebuyer program the best is a client who's very, very budget conscious, but they're not very kind of um, appreciation focused. Right. Okay. So if you have somebody who, you know, really they go, no, I just want to get into a property. I just want to have the most affordability as possible that might be a good solution for them because I think you've probably seen examples online where they talk about, okay, if you're at a certain price point, you can save $250 per month on your payment. Yeah. So I think from a budgeting perspective, that's going to be something that's interesting to a lot of budget conscious consumers. Then you're going to have the flip side where consumers don't want to give up equity in the upside of the property, right? Yeah, exactly. One challenge with this is that let's say, for example, you know, the government does match the 5% and then they're going to have 5% of the equity increase in the property as well right mm -hmm. equity increase equity increases like they're not always a result of market appreciation so sometimes they're a result of forced appreciation maybe somebody just put their own blood sweat and tears and did a renovation themselves and maybe that renovation that they did didn't even have any forced appreciation maybe they put forty thousand dollars of materials and labor into the property and it only appreciated forty thousand and in that situation the government gets five percent of that upside that you paid for yeah right so that's something that's a bit tricky i think me specifically i'm a little bit niche with real estate investors yeah so this isn't really a program where real estate investors have any interest because they don't actually fit the criteria of being a first-time home buyer mm -hmm. okay and also appreciation and raising value is a big part of their strategy and just having the government involved in their mortgage is maybe something that they're not interested in um, but I think, you know, it's an, it, it could help some people. And I think, you know, any program that's out there is definitely something that, you know, should be looked into. And if it could help one person getting to the housing market, I think it's a great, great thing to have. I just would caution people with regards to this because there are a lot of things with this first time home buyer program that, you know, I could see going south for people, you know, we see so many people where they buy a property as a primary residence, first-time home buyers, and they eventually end up renting the property for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, they got a job change, they moved, maybe they decided that carrying the cost of the property was too much for themselves, they moved back to their parents, what have you. Mm -hmm. Well, what's going to happen with those clients where they buy something with a first-time home buyer incentive, and then one year later on their tax return, they're reporting rental income? How's the government going to handle that? So mm -hmm. that's some of the stuff that, you know, there's no answers for that yet. And, you know, we hope there's no horror stories with it. But that's something just I'm keeping my eye on just to see kind of how it plays out. Because I could see that potentially turning south for some people. That was my next question. Because one of the qualifications, well, technically, um, and, and the CMHC actually lists this in, in one of their um, FAQs. Uh, so the the incentive can go towards any residential property. And so that it, that means it could be duplex, triplex or, or quad uh, or fourplex. And it actually says in their, you know, in their 
that it lists out those types of properties. But then it goes on to say that like you couldn't buy the property and then rent it out. So there is there is already some stipulation against renting out the property. Now, I'm I'm wondering, thinking like so, uh, like you were saying earlier, the everybody's trying to get into rental. Everybody wants to put a suite in their house. Everybody um, wants to. You know they're looking for that extra rental income so is this something where you could possibly uh, use the incentive to get into a duplex a triplex a uh, fourplex um, and then you know in five years time when it comes time to refi pay off the government because there is um, there are also options for early payout I don't know exactly how far that goes I didn't read that deep into it but uh, so it was just it tweaked me as like how does that work I don't know if that's clear yet or not yeah, I don't think it is clear. And I think, you know, that would be something that would make logical sense to me that you're buying something as an owner occupied plus rental. Mm-hmm. That would be the criteria the property is going into. Yeah. You're occupying one of the units, you're renting out the others, and then maybe you're exiting that loan, like you mentioned, through refinance or what have you. So I think when it comes to that, it's going to be similar to several other CRA things, similar to tax on capital gains when, when people are selling a primary residence or is it a flip and there's that gray area. I think it's just going to be up to kind of um, case by case basis and basically the interpretation of the government and the sales pitch from an accountant and kind of what they believe. That's the challenging thing when it comes to lending, when it comes to CRA is it doesn't always come down to what's true. It comes down to what the, the person making the decision believes. And I can't tell you how many times where we've had mortgage situations where a client's buying uh, a home for their family and just because the home is somewhat near university, no bank will do the file because they deem it a student rental. Wow. And in those situations, the property is truly going to be a family home, but just because of the optics and the way it's viewed by the lender, it's declined, right? So this is something kind of in lending is, it's not about what's true, it's about the optics of the situation, because you know potentially in the past, you know the banks have been burned and they have had a lot of people maybe frauding the system and things like that so you appreciate kind of where it comes from yeah but that's just something to be mindful of you know even if you do everything by the book it's very possible that you know the optics of the situation could still leave you in a negative place that's a good point yeah it's something to watch out for all right thank you very much uh, jacob this is um some really interesting stuff and definitely something that I'm going to be keeping an eye out and I know you're going to be keeping an eye out for it. So maybe, you know, nine, 10 months down the road as, as more comes to light, as different situations get um, a run into and get resolved, we can have another conversation and just see where we're at. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for having me, Joel. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to find out more about Jacob and what he does as a mortgage agent and as an investor, follow him on Instagram. He's at jacobperez10. If you have some questions uh, about mortgages or anything like that, even investing, email him, jacob at jpmortgage.ca. And if you have any thoughts on our conversation, I'd love to hear them. Email me at recoffee at joelart.ca and all of these links will be in the show notes thanks again for listening have a good friday